The scripture today can be found in the Gospel of Matthew, the fourth chapter, just verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to proclaim, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So in our children's moment, Pastor Maggie helped us understand what a parable is. It's a story that is is told to teach a moral lesson or in our case, a religious lesson. And it is often told to answer complex questions where it's not as simple as saying, this is the way things are. There is a story that helps us imagine the complexities, the mysteries of, of God and God's, in this case, kingdom. We're, we're doing this series on the parables of Jesus, focusing on the gospel of Matthew and how Matthew's stories of Jesus unfold as he is teaching people, encountering people, and helping them imagine how the kingdom of God has come near in him and what that means because the world is changing. It's not completely changed. But in Jesus, things are beginning to change and the world is a little bit different for the people that follow Jesus and the parables are ways to help us understand those changes. So for us, we have to understand that in many cases, Jesus does not come out and say something clearly and directly. Sometimes he ends up telling a story to help answer a bigger, deeper question to help us engage our minds in what is beyond words. For us, the parables are an opportunity to go a little bit deeper into what Jesus has to say for us. Now, it begins with an understanding of why Jesus taught these parables. What is the reason for it? Often, it's because Jesus was trying to teach these deep truths to people that either couldn't understand or didn't have the, the, the history or even the religious background to understand these things, or it's because it requires a change of heart to truly understand it. So think about this. If you've heard of the story of the parable, parable of the prodigal son from the gospel of Luke, you may remember certain things about that parable. It's outside of the ones that we're gonna study this summer because it's from a different gospel, but it's very popular. It's the story of a a young child, or excuse me, a young man who comes to his father and essentially says, I wish you were already dead so I could have my inheritance now. And the young man takes the inheritance and he goes to Las Vegas or something like that. I might be forgetting a few things. And he goes and he spends all his money. He is broke. And he comes back home penniless. He has essentially been eating out of trash bins on the streets of Las Vegas. And he thinks, at least I can be a servant in my father's house. And he comes home and the father greets him before he even gets to the front porch, hugs him, puts clothes back on him and brings him home and throws a party because his son is home. Now the older brother who had done the right thing, he had always gotten straight A's and all of his money was in a high yield savings account, was very upset that his father just forgave the little brother. He is so upset. And yet the father says, forget all the past. Your brother was lost and now he's back home. He was dead to us and now he's alive. 
Now, in those stories, we can see ourselves in those moments or even in those characters. Maybe you have been a prodigal son who has made some bad choices. Maybe you have been an older brother and you have been upset that other people are not being treated fairly. They're being treated with much more leniency than you ever were. Maybe you've been in a situation where you've had to forgive someone for something that they did to you that still hurts. Do you see how we can find ourselves in that story? But it also is about God, about God forgiving people who have turned against him and God calling people who've done the right thing to become more like him. The stories, the parables are meant to be an answer to many different questions, all neatly wrapped into one narrative. It's usually a fictional narrative based on real people, real examples, everyday items, something that anyone and everyone could understand. It was not Jesus teaching the the brightest uh, people in the room, but every single person so that everyone had access to the mysteries or at least a way to understand the mysteries of his kingdom. And that's why we're starting with Matthew chapter four today is because the kingdom is the point of most of the parables in the gospel of Matthew. Jesus comes to share the good news that he is the Messiah. He is the one sent by God to restore people into a right relationship with him. And yet at the same time, there is something new that is happening. There's something in the world that is changing because he is here and he calls it the kingdom of God or in the gospel of Matthew, the kingdom of heaven. And you might think, why does Matthew call it the kingdom of heaven versus Luke or Mark that calls it the kingdom of God? Well, Luke was uh, an author writing to Gentile Christians and Jewish Christians. Matthew was primarily writing to Jewish Christians and Jewish people often used God's name sparingly. In fact, if they were to write God's name, they would often leave out the vowels to show that it's such a special name. It shouldn't just be written over and over again. It was because God's name was so holy. So Matthew, as a good Jewish person is using the phrase kingdom of heaven instead of kingdom of God. They mean the exact same things. It's the rule of God that Jesus starts, that he inaugurates, that because Jesus has arrived as God's son, who who God is going to lift up as king of heaven and earth, then we should live under his leadership. We should live under his rule. Whatever Jesus says goes for us. We're supposed to be obedient to him. And that kingdom begins in him. It doesn't mean that the world is completely the kingdom of God yet, but that for the church, Jesus is our Lord who teaches us how to live and how to act. So the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God has come near in Jesus and it's not going anywhere because we're supposed to live as though that is the way the world should work for us. So the point of many of the parables is to understand what it means that the kingdom of God, the rule of God, the the way of God in this world has come near in Jesus and the church and Christians are supposed to be the ones practicing it. So these stories should help us understand more clearly as we think about them, as we wrestle with them, what that means. Now notice 
that Jesus is both Messiah, Savior, but also Lord. He is supposed to be the one that we entrust our lives to, who saves us from sin and death, but who also calls us into obedience with him, that we follow him. Both of those things matter. There is a, an uh, author and spiritual guru in the church named A.W. Towser. And A.W. Towser was looking at modern Christianity and he, he saw what he calls a new heresy. A, a heresy is when we get something wrong in faith. And what he says is, the new heresy is, I will trust Jesus to save me and to give me a chance to go to heaven, but I'm gonna withhold him being my Lord and I'm not gonna obedient to him until it's convenient for me. So I'll come to church and I'll sing songs, but when I go out in the world, I'm gonna live like nothing has changed. A.W. Towser calls that the new heresy. I want Jesus to be my Messiah, but not my Lord. Now there's a flip side of this that John Wesley noticed in England. He, he noticed that there were people that looked like Christians, acted like Christians. They sort of seemed like they were in the kingdom of God. He called them the almost Christians because they had the, the look of Christians, but when it came to their heart, to their faith, it was rather empty. And so he saw a, a reverse heresy. I'll let Jesus direct my life, but I won't give him my heart. Do you see how they're both sort of looking at the same thing from different perspectives? These both matter greatly. They are so intertwined that they are inseparable. But sometimes we can get it wrong. We withhold our heart from God, but we'll live like a Christian. Or maybe we want to give our heart to God and, and to be saved, but we're reluctant to make a big change in our lives. Jesus comes saying that both are intertwined, that we, most, we, both, we must have both in our lives to be faithful to him. Uh, there is a group of people called red-letter Christians. Uh, they are the people that take certain words in the Gospels more heavily and more seriously than the others. You may have heard uh, of this before. Some of you, your newer Bibles don't have red letters, but some of you remember these Bibles. Do you remember what words were in red? Jesus's words, right? And so they, they look at those words as being more important. Now, that's not really the way to look at it, but that's the way they look at it. And they say, when Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life, that is gospel beginning and whatever. And there are other passages that are also in red, like love your enemies and pray for those who forgive you or who persecute you, excuse me, pray for those who persecute you. That's the word of Jesus. It's gospel. Do you see how... Those words are different and yet the same. He is our Savior. He is our Lord. We should give him our heart, but we should also live like it. We're not going to cover this parable uh, in the Gospel of Matthew parable series. It comes at the very end of the Gospel of, of Matthew, and it's Matthew 25. It starts with verse 31. And if you've got a Bible, you can flip there. Matthew 25, verse 31. It's the parable of the sheep and the goats. Or another way to look at it is called the parable of the judgment at the end of things. And it has to do with our actions. Did we live as though we were part of God's kingdom? You may remember the story where Jesus is judging people at the end of their lives. And he puts some people over here and some people over here. And to the people over here, the sheep, he says, Welcome to heaven. 
Because when I was hungry, you gave me food. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was sick, you visited me. When I was naked, you gave me clothes. When I was in prison, you took care of me. And they said, we didn't know that we were doing those things for you. That's wonderful. How about that? And they get to go into heaven. And the other people, the goats, were the people that were supposed to do those things. They were supposed to feed. They were supposed to heal. They were supposed to take care of the sick. And you know what happens? He says, you know, you didn't do this. You didn't feed me when I was hungry. You didn't clothe me. And they said, wait a minute, if we knew it was you, we would have done it. And he said, whatever you do to the least of these, you did unto me. So Jesus is telling this parable. And sometimes we think, well, wait a minute, is Jesus saying that we're saved by our works? Are we saved by the good things we do? No, that's not the point of the parable. The point of the parable is, is that if we live in God's kingdom, this is what we do. If we live in the kingdom of God, and God's rule, and there's someone who's hungry, we pack 50,000 meals and we send them to the Ukraine. If there's someone thirsty, we figure out a way to help dig a well so that they can get clean, fresh water when they need it. When someone is sick, we figure out a way to be with them and help them because that's the way God's kingdom works. It's not optional. It's how we live because Jesus is our Lord and Savior. How these two things are intertwined is all about the gospels and the parables. Jesus says, if I'm going to be your savior, if I'm going to be your Lord, this is how the world should operate to you because your lives have been changed by me, by my father. And now this is how you live and serve. You know, there's a difference in a sense between knowing and understanding. There's a difference between knowing and discovering. Last Sunday, I talked a little bit about John Wesley having an experience on Aldersgate Street at a Bible study on the book of Romans. In fact, he was a priest already for many years. He knew the Bible. He had been through seminary. He had graduated. He had even taught theology. And yet he was going to a Bible study in May several, you know, 200 years ago, and he wasn't excited about it. He was a little bit, I guess, spiritually depressed. He wasn't in a good mood going to this Bible study and something amazing happened to him. He had the Holy Spirit show up in his life and it transformed his heart, which is why you should go to Bible study when you don't feel like it. Um, that's not the point. But, but the point I didn't tell you last week is that he knew all those things, didn't he? He knew about God's grace. He knew about the kingdom of God. He knew those things. But there's a difference between knowing something and understanding something. Jesus could have told us what to believe in a list in the Bible. And that's one thing that would be very helpful for preachers. It'd make our job a lot simpler to have a list. But that's not what Jesus gives us often. He gives us these stories because He wants us to not just know something, but to believe something. He doesn't want us to just know what to think, but to think and to have faith and to trust. He wants us to understand the kingdom of God, not just to say it exists. So the stories invite us to imagine what the kingdom of God is like and how we fit into it, instead of just believing that it's there. Isn't that the power of a story? A story 
puts more understanding into a truth like the three little pigs. The story helps us understand what really matters or the core of the story. Think about Holy Communion. We're about to celebrate this in a moment. And we don't just get up here every Sunday that we do it and say, now it's time for us to have an end of worship snack. We don't do that, do we? We don't just say, come eat bread, come have grape juice because it's what Jesus told us to do. We don't do that. We tell the story. On the night in which Jesus gave himself up for us, he took bread from the table and he lifted it up and he gave thanks and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The story of Jesus giving himself up, self-sacrificing himself out of love for God and the whole world and for us is the reason that this meal matters. The story helps us understand the point. It's not a ritual. It's an opportunity to be in a relationship with the God who did this for us. Maybe the whole point of the parables that the stories help us understand things that we can't just read on a page, but we need to know in our hearts. I hope that you will experience this series of the parables as an opportunity for you to open up your heart and your mind, your spirit to God so that he can renew you and teach you things that maybe you've missed before. Or maybe things that you know in your head that you learned back when you were in children's church. But it's an opportunity for you to relearn them and to understand them in new and deeper ways. I hope you do that with communion every time that we come. It's not just a time to check off that meal from our monthly worship list. It's an opportunity to understand and to know deeply within our hearts that something Amazing happened because God loved us. Something amazing was done upon that cross and in that empty tomb because we are worth something to the God who created us. Amen.